Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Trigger warning. This podcast involves discussions of child sexual abuse and pedophilia. Listener discretion is advised. There are a lot of ways to see Dolores Hayes. And how you see her really depends on not just where you're sitting in the room, but all of the places you've been and experiences you've had before you even enter the room in the first place. And you're like, okay, the metaphor's getting a little heady here, but go with me for a second. There's a million ways to see and perceive Dolores Hayes. Most are exposed first to the images laid out that reference an image that her abuser constructed, whether that's in movies or advertisement or pop music. Some of us see her through the peaks that Nabokov's Humbert Humbert gives to her true authentic self in his 1955 book. Dolores being a better tennis player than Humbert, but always letting him win anyways. Dolores crying herself to sleep at night. Dolores dropping a knife onto her foot upon seeing her friend's father genuinely expressing love to his daughter. But no matter how you see her, we all see Dolores in relation to ourselves. Just like we see really anything. There's a four-part series that you can watch for free on YouTube called Ways of Seeing, which was originally aired on BBC Two in 1972, and it's hosted by writer John Berger. Maybe you've been taught this in a class you've taken before, or maybe you have like an exhausting friend that brings it up at parties. But Ways of Seeing is all about the ways that modern audiences consume mass images and how different image consumption is from the centuries of sacred imagery being more difficult to seek out before mass production was possible. There's some parts of this documentary that are really cool and others that are really dated. How you can devote an entire episode on how women view themselves by speaking to five white women in Britain of the same financial class is like, um, come on. But in the first episode, John Berger conducts a pretty interesting experiment that I think is uniquely suited to how we see Dolores. So, okay, for science, picture the most popular image in our culture of Lolita. Sue Lyon gazing over those heart-shaped sunglasses in 1962. 
Here's what Berger says in the first episode of Ways of Seeing. As you look at them now, on your screen, your wallpaper is round them, your window is opposite them, your carpet is below them. At this same moment, they are on many other screens, surrounded by different objects, different colours, different sounds. You are seeing them in the context of your own life. They are surrounded not by gilt frames, but by the familiarity of the room you are in and the people around you. Okay, so let's think about the Sioux Lion image in that context. This image has been reproduced countless times, whether it's this exact image or later reimagined versions of it. But the way that you see it is uniquely connected to you, you goddamn snowflake. Whether you like it or not, you're going to see this heart-shaped glasses image in the context of your own life. So some people are going to see a sexually appealing and consenting underage girl. Others might see an aspirational image. Wow, I want to look like that. Others might recoil from the image. How could they make a girl pose like that? She's so young. Another person might say, hey, I forgot I was going to watch that movie. The image exists in a context, and not just the societal context we've been talking about throughout this series. It's also the context of you, how this image comes to you, and how you interpret it. John Berger also speaks to how the meaning of an image changes when placed alongside other images. A picture of Sue Lyon in heart-shaped glasses on its own has a different implied meaning than if the heart-shaped glasses picture is placed beside a photo of Sue Lyon when she was 30 years older, or if the heart-shaped glasses picture is placed next to an image of Stanley Kubrick berating a female actor. When placed next to something else, the meaning of the original image often changes. I've now emphasized the ways in which reproduction makes the meaning of works of art ambiguous. This is not as negative as it necessarily sounds if we realize what is happening. What it means, in theory, is that reproduction of works of art can be used by anybody for their own purposes. Images can be used like words, we can talk with them. Reproduction should make it easier to connect our experience of art directly with other experiences. So as John Berger is describing this, we see a series of very 1970s images juxtaposed next to each other. For our purposes, think of a bulletin board in a teenager's room where there's pictures of celebrities pinned up next to pictures of friends and family. Think of vision boards that people made back when New Year's resolutions and hope for the future was still a thing that we had. And while we're at it, let's take that same energy and apply it to the wonderful world of online. Think of how images interact with each other and change meaning based on what kind of Pinterest board they're placed on. Or think of how images interact with each other on a Tumblr page. It's a full-on death battle of aesthetics. Each image on its own has the original intended meaning from the artist, and then that meaning probably changes when it arrives to you, and then that meaning can change again when you see it placed on a scrollable grid of hundreds of thousands of other images. To quote a late 2000s inscrutable Facebook relationship status, it's complicated. In an essay she wrote on her own experiences with Lolita in the upcoming collection, Lolita in the Afterlife, one of my favorite writers, Morgan Jerkins, directs us to a Nabokov quote from a January 1964 interview with Playboy. Writer Alvin Toffler asks Nabokov if he ever regretted writing Lolita nearly 10 years after its original publication. Nabokov replied, No, I shall never regret Lolita. She was like the composition of a beautiful puzzle. 
its composition and its solution at the same time, since one is a mirror view of the other, depending on the way you look. The way you look. Dolores exists in relation to you, as we've discussed since the first episode, and she exists in relation to advertising and commercial images. Today, we're going to talk about how the image of Dolores Hayes has functioned as a community builder, and how the reproduction of her image and the discussion of her character has been connecting people to each other since the dawn of the internet. Because there is, in fact, a little bit of justice in this world, people who have more in common with Dolores Hayes than Humbert Humbert have found and appreciated her over the years and formed communities around her image. As we'll learn today, these are pretty widely diverse groups of people spanning many races, sexualities, genders, and many are survivors of abuse. So that's ideal, right? Did we do it? Well, hold on, because if we're building a community around the icon and the image of Dolores Hayes, we need to remember who has prepared and curated the image of Dolores Hayes for us over the last 65 years. Well, mainly advertisers who are translating Humbert Humbert, the abuser's account of Dolores Hayes, basically at face value. And while these fan communities can certainly break through a lot of this noise by bringing the perspective of their own experiences, when an icon is shaped completely by the male gaze, and this image of them is perpetuated by every movie, ad, or pop music campaign it can latch onto for over half a century, aren't things bound to get... messy? Let's find out. Dolores logs in. This is Lolita Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Lolita Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Loftus, and today we're taking a look at the brief but fascinating history of Lolita fan forums. Now, there's no doubt that there's ones that I have missed here, because as with all things extremely online, these histories are very specific, they're very intense, and they can be very difficult to find. I'm going to present Lolita Forums to you from three points in internet history today. One snapshot from the early 2000s, one from the mid-2010s, and a look at the state of Lolita Forums, or the Nymphet community, as it was called up until pretty recently, today in the 2020s. And we'll also be touching on the associated aesthetic movement, non-sexual Nymphet fashion. So before we get into the history here, I want to start this episode by saying that while I think it's important to understand the histories of these forums and how they've evolved over the decades, it's important to acknowledge that, as many of the members I'll be quoting today will tell you, there's been a lot of direct and indirect harm done by online communities that have at any point glorified predatory relationships and child sex abuse in any way, no matter who these communities are run by. I have heard from so many listeners on our Discord and in emails who describe being genuinely fucked up by Lolita Tumblr in particular, and I am no exception to that rule, particularly when encountering communities that are splashy, visually driven, and not communicating very much in the way of context or nuance. It's been a really commonly related experience that 
finding these blogs while still a kid and very much in the process of figuring out who you are, often looking to online peers for guidance on how to be, this messaging could be really harmful. I want to share two messages I've received on the subject, both anonymously, of course. Tumblr introduced me to the Lolita style mainly through Lana Del Rey. I spent most of my time after school on Tumblr aesthetic blogs, which created a very rose-colored idea of Lolita. I had no context for the actual novel and felt uncomfortable and intrigued by a lot of the media. This was around 2015, and me and my best friend were some of the nerdiest girls at our school. Nonetheless, we would spend lunch hours singing to Lana Del Rey songs, specifically after the races, in my friend's car nearly every day. When we were home from school, we would repost things about the music and aesthetic on Tumblr. It was a strange thing for me since at school I was known as the smart girl. Listening to the music and engaging with the culture surrounding Lolita felt like a way to escape from how is perceived by others. This is also pretty related to my transition to almost exclusively crop tops and miniskirts for a year or so. That ties into a couple other things. Though I am now able to see a lot more of the flaws within the culture since I've gotten older and had more experiences in my life. I was the subject of a lot of attention from adult men when I was young, and I really engaged with the book and the 1997 movie, generally not in a healthy way. I was on Tumblr when the Lolita aesthetic exploded, and I feel like that aesthetic will always be rooted somewhere deep in my brain. I truly can't overstate how many messages like this I've received from listeners with a wide variety of backgrounds, and how much of it is connected to Lana Del Rey. So to the several listeners who have contacted me asking why I'm talking about her so much, it's because current Lolita imagery is very connected to her early career. From what I've noticed, there's a notable uptick in activity in these online communities. First, when the 1997 movie became more accessible at the same time the internet did in the late 90s, early 2000s. Then again, in the early 2010s, when Lana Del Rey came into prominence. Okay, one last meme, I promise. This is from Instagram user PsycheDelicious333 from just a couple days ago. Here are a few different panels of the memes. Those red flags look pretty green when you idolize Lana Del Rey as a preteen. I would give anything to be able to forget all the shit I learned from Tumblr. Uh, This is over some images of common Lolita Tumblr posts. Do not trust bitches who post shit like this. Worst mistake of my life. And then uh, lastly, a picture of Lana Del Rey with the speech bubble saying this. Yeah, I romanticized the Lolita aesthetic so much that I got hundreds of my underage fans dangerously obsessed with it. So what? There is a big reckoning going on right now about misinterpretations of the book stemming from internet culture of the 2010s, and it's been fascinating to watch it unfold. And a lot of comments like this cropped up when Lana Del Rey's latest scandal involving her using very racially charged language to explain how she is not racist. But when she did this, and every time she does this, there is a wave of tweets from people who were there for her big moment on Tumblr in the early 2000s, and how that has affected their image of themselves. There is a great recent Twitter thread about this from Jezebel staff writer Ashley Reese from this last week on the subject. Here's two of the tweets. Okay, but being on Tumblr when Lana was first coming out was an experience, let me tell you. She goes on, the gift sets, the cultural appropriation arguments, the SNL thing, where are my veteran benefits? 
And she's right. I mean, this was a subculture on the internet from almost 10 years ago, and it is haunting people. Many of Lana's critics have characterized her framing of Lolita, which we discussed at length a few episodes ago, as a form of parasocial grooming. And if you're not familiar with the term, it consists of two kind of interconnected terms. The first is parasocial. So I'll, I'll go lemony snicket mode for a second. Parasocial is a word which here means a psychological relationship experienced by an audience in their mediated encounters with performers in the mass media. So this is the feeling a consumer gets when they feel like they know someone who is a public figure, when of course, that public figure doesn't know them. Like when I talk to like a framed photograph of Rachel Weisz, she cannot hear me, she does not know me, but I love her performances so much that I feel like she's my friend. Tumblr users of the 2010s didn't know Lana Del Rey, but they did know her image, and her image and music made this young audience often feel like they did actually know her, and that she was someone to look up to. So the second half of that phrase is one we've discussed on the podcast before, and that's grooming, which means, quote, when someone builds a relationship, trust, and emotional connection with a child or young person so they can manipulate, exploit, and abuse them, unquote. The implication of parasocial grooming is basically that a public figure that many kids looked up to and felt like they knew made them feel like and made money off of convincing underage fans that the dynamic between Humbert Humbert and Lolita was romantic and something to aspire to. I mean, after all, if it wasn't, why would your parasocial friend Lana Del Rey be saying it? And why would all your online friends be so encouraging and excited about it? This cycle, as many have told me, created at times a vortex of misinformation and mischaracterization that young users were spreading to each other. All this to say, there is no doubt that Nymphet and Lolita forums have, over the years, provided both a space for teens to congregate around Dolores Hayes and spread a lot of confusion well into the 2010s that glorified the Humbert-Lolita dynamic and perpetuated information that really messed with people's heads. And yes, Lana's approach to framing Lolita has a lot, lot, lot to do with where those misconceptions were coming from. That said, I think it's really valuable information to know a little more about the history of these forums and all the nuances that come with them. So let's get started. But first, let's rewind the clock about 20 years back to the early 2000s. George W. Bush has stolen the election, songs like Oops I Did It Again and Drops of Jupiter are topping the charts, low-rise jeans are offensively on trend, and the Sex in the City and Spice Girls-driven girl power, highly commercialized third-wave feminism, is kind of the best we have to offer in the mainstream. Adrian Lyne's movie was a hit overseas in 1997, but in the US was relegated to Showtime and home video. Not that that stopped teens with access to a blockbuster membership to getting their hands on a copy. It's in this era that the first Lolita fan websites begin to crop up. Around this time, there weren't many centralized places to find conversation around Lolita. It was something you had to really look for, predating all the big social media giants, and something that's challenging but not impossible to find traces of now. These days you'll find almost exclusively dead links and dead profiles, but here's a summary of what remains or is remembered in old blogs and Reddit posts about these early Lolita message boards and forums. A real graveyard of the internet, so I'll summarize some common themes. First, 
Overwhelmingly, users identify themselves as teenage girls on these forums. The topics they focus on kind of vary. There are conversations about the 1997 movie, definitely more so than the Stanley Kubrick 1960s one. There are images, which are half-dead links now, of mostly young cis white girls imitating images from the 1997 movie and some discussion of what they thought it meant to be a nymphette with a pretty wide array of responses. Some users think that it is about presenting yourself as a cultural Lolita, as an underage person who is interested in people who are much older. Others are more willing to believe that it is an aesthetic or an attitude. Next, there is the occasional post or mention from dead-linked users who creeped into these forums who were identifying as Humberts. So this is the internet of the early 2000s, remember? So generally, claims of being an older, attractive doctor or lawyer are extremely difficult to verify as they provide no photos or last names. These older men are tentatively tolerated in these communities, it appears, or at least are not asked to leave right away if they gaze from a respectful distance without harassing the teenage users. Then, the occasional haters. There are rogue posts from people who warn these teen communities, badly edited HTML, dizzying backgrounds and all, that these teens don't get Lolita, that it was actually a book about abuse, and that by discussing Dolores Hayes or admiring images of her in any way, they were inherently misunderstanding the texts. These posts are understandably not received very well in these communities, but not without reason. Because my final observation is that even in the 2000s, there is a lot of conversation about Dolores Hayes herself, and it's clear that these teenagers have read the book. It would be an oversimplification to say that teen girls were glorifying the message of Lolita. I don't think that's necessarily true. During this era, at least, it would be more accurate to say that they are glorifying the image of Dominique Swain as Lolita. In a pre-Lana Del Rey world, this is the strongest image there was to pull from, along with other 90s-era teen seductresses, your Drew Barrymores, your Alicia Silverstones. And this era is generally a push and pull between wanting to be the girl Dominique Swain plays and genuinely discussing the Dolores Hayes of the book. So it's a mix of emulating these very male gaze images fed by 90s and early 2000s culture and some pushing back on them. It's not unknown in these forums that Dolores was an abused child. The teen girls on the forum were not necessarily there to glorify relationships with older men. There are some talks about encounters they had with older men, but just as much talk about being interested in people their age. For some users, and I could relate with this, the desire for someone older seemed a little more abstract and more of a response to the questionable maturity of teenage boys on offer. I mean, personally, I, I definitely remember thinking how much better dating an older person would be than the filthy 14-year-old boys that I went to eighth grade with. So at this time, it's really a mix of different approaches to the material, grounded in a common interest in Dolores. While the core imagery is very tied into, and as far as I was able to observe, motivated by interest in Adrian Lyne's adaptation, the users have clearly read the book. 
The core difference I noticed with more contemporary teen users is a willingness to tolerate the presence of older men observing the forums, and a less whole condemnation of the power dynamics within the book. What I was surprised by and kind of touched by was that these were, however completely dead now, communities at the time. They were teenagers talking to each other about their common experiences, saying that you could be a nymphette at any age, it's an attitude, it's an aesthetic, and the real commonality was processing their experiences through Nabokov's text, and often through Adrian Lyne's movie. So the first wave of nymphette forums are clearly motivated by the 90s movie, and briefly thrive in a pop culture landscape that was not shy, as we've discussed in many past episodes, about eroticizing images of underage teens, even making them at times active threats to older male characters rather than the other way around. But these forums die down and seem to stay dead, as far as I could tell, for a while. But in the late 2000s and early 2010s, that changes. The work of Lana Del Rey provides a new generation with a massive resurgence in these kinds of communities with marked differences that reflect the changing values of our culture. So what I think is important to keep in mind and something I feel is often lost in the discussion of Lolita at every point in these communities is this, the online culture surrounding the book, and as we're about to learn, Lana Del Rey's relation to it was a formative and confusing phase for many of the teens who were active within it, at literally any point in time you can direct to. I see discussions about this all the time on the Lolita Podcast Discord and in emails that I receive from listeners. These online spaces are flawed and leave a lot to be wanting in terms of inclusivity and nuance, and we'll get to that in a bit. But they're curated mainly by teenagers who are figuring shit out under constrictive and complicated societal pressures, not unlike Dolores Hayes trying to figure herself out as a young teenager under the most traumatic circumstances you could imagine back in 1947. So let's move forward. Enter Tumblr, the microblogging, what a ridiculous word, platform established in 2007 and exploded in the early to mid 2010s. Going back into Tumblr, for this episode gave me just just flared up a little bit of PTSD. Tumblr's in the early 2010s informed my life in a way that I can't even fully describe. For, for better and for worse, it still haunts me. Tumblr is a very visually driven platform. And essentially, in the early 2010s, what happens is that the forums that Kate Elizabeth Russell participated in during the 2000s evolve into nymphette tumblers. The main difference is that due to the nature of this platform, these blogs are generally more driven by images than text, and the interface doesn't really encourage commenting or ongoing conversation in the way that Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or even TikTok does. That's not to say it's not impossible to have a conversation on Tumblr. It's very possible to build a community, but it's a visually driven community. And the Lolita Nymphette corner of Tumblr came into the analysis space in about 2014. In this section, I'm going to be citing both analysis from outside writers looking into the community at the time, as well as Nymphette Tumblr historian 18-year-old Nelaja Maisa, who has made the most comprehensive history of this community on the entire internet in a 2020 YouTube video called The Revisionist History of the Nymphet Community. 
She's our source on the inside, and I'm using clips of her video here with permission from her. Elijah got involved on Nymphet Tumblr at age 12 back in 2014. I'll, I'll let her describe how she first learned about it. So for some backstory, I'm currently 18 years old, um, and I've been in the Nymphet community since I was 12, I want to say. I was there since 2014. I joined because I had um, listened to Off to the Races by Lon Del Rey for the first time. And one of the comments mentioned Lolita, and I was like, oh, I wonder what it's about. Because the song like gives me such this weird nostalgic feeling that I don't understand. And I found out about Lolita that way. And then, honestly, I didn't watch the movie until later. And then I just slowly found out about like the whole Nymphed thing through Tumblr because I saw a picture of Liv Tyler and I thought her outfit was cute. It was a lot of fun, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I never really saw it as myself pretending to be Dolores or pretending like I was in her situation. I watched the 97 Lolita, I was like, damn, her outfits are cute. And I decided to dress like that. A lot of people seem to think that the Nymphet community was filled with privileged white girls who, like, had daddy kinks or um were sexually abused that is not necessarily the case were some of them wealthier white girls yes but not majority of them there's only like three no actually there's only like two did we all have daddy kinks no that's absolutely there was a lot of lesbians like something that y'all don't know the nymphet community was full of fucking lesbians <laughs> gays only event okay yeah it was a lot of lesbians in the Nymphet community and also there was a lot of girls who had crushes on people their age like it wasn't just people fetishizing like obviously in every community there's good and bad of course there was obviously some girls in the Nymphet community who did fetishize Olita but I will tell you it was not the vast majority of them it was not the vast majority of them because we policed within ourselves we helped each other it wasn't a one person tells you to do this and you do it it was Everyone worked together. Like we literally had an entire network. It was the Nymphed Girl Gang where we sent in like pedophiles, creeps, everybody who would like hop in our DMs and we would send them to the police. Then after a while they stopped DMing us or they stopped trolling the chat tag because they knew they were gonna be put on that network and then they knew that they were gonna get in fucking trouble. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. So the communities are very close-knit and protective of other users. Now, back in 2014, writers taking a look at this community saw it quite differently. Writer Sarah Catherine Cleaver wrote about Nymphet tumblers pretty critically in 2014 for the publication Show Studio. She describes the main components of the blogs at this time like this. Firstly, and obviously, Lolita. Quotes from the book, stills, memes and gifs from either film, Kubrick's 1962 is better stylistically, but Adrian Lin's 1999 version is the more popular, probably because it's closer to the book, darker, more sexual, and far less perfect. Dominique Swan's screen test from the same film denotes a real Lolita buff, as do the deleted scenes found in the DVD. Other age gap films seen over and over again include Pretty Baby, The Crush, Jeune Julie. Then there are vintage signifiers, pulp novel covers ranging in levels of bad taste. My personal favorite, Daddy I'm Coming. Photographs of vintage underwear, Parisian street photographs. There's the personal posts. I dropped my pen in the lecture today and two guys in the lecture went to fetch it for me and is this nymphette power or what? Hashtag nymphette, hashtag thoughts. This aligns with Nolija's descriptions of the blogs at this time as well. But Cleaver's conclusions on what these blogs mean, particularly given how young most of the Tumblr creators in question are, comes off pretty harsh. The type of femininity these young women, and for that matter, Lana Del Rey, have chosen to identify with is one that is doomed from the start. Either Oscar Wilde or George Bernard Shaw said youth is wasted on the young. These particular girls are wasting theirs, fetishizing it, treating youth as a theme to be curated, collected, and carefully documented. It's this juxtaposition of the cute and girlish with the violent that expresses the core theme of Lolita better than any blonde teen sucking a lollipop on numerous book jackets ever can. Yeah, you tell those 12-year-olds. This perspective was pushed back on by other writers of this time. Writer Mishka Husin wrote a piece for literary journal Plowshares a couple years later in response to Sarah Catherine Cleaver that describes the tumblers a little closer to how Kate Elizabeth Russell describes her forum from the 2000s. Here's what Husin has to say. I wrote an essay about watching Adrian Lane's 1997 adaptation of Lolita, relating to my experiences of sexual abuse as an adolescent and the experience of reading the novel. A paragraph in the essay was quoted on Tumblr and found some traction on the same Nymphet blogs. And this is where something darker, more complex, and more powerful shows itself. 
The blogs this was shared on had the standard nymphette blog fare. Stills from movies with age gap relationships, American Beauty, Leon the Professional, Stealing Beauty, and of course, Lolita. Lines from Lana Del Rey songs, quotes from the novel, straight up DDLG porn. But also, that quote. For clarity, DDLG is both an area of kink and a subgenre of porn that stands for Daddy Dom Little Girl, where generally a male partner plays the part of father and the woman plays the part of a young girl. When done safely, my understanding is that DDLG is an extension of the BDSM community that involves two consenting adults who are completely on board with the power dynamic being established. And I'm not here to kink shame. If it's done safely, then whatever. But as far as the DDLG images on these communities go, it's a little more complicated than that. Because as it's portrayed in static, cropped, and edited Tumblr posts, the potential safety of the dynamic is not as easy to establish. Elijah Maisa and the other prominent nymphette culture YouTuber, Skylar Rain, resist association with the kink community pretty strongly in order to protect their own communities, both for the safety of underage users and the fact that they don't want the nymphette aesthetic to be sexualized. Here's Skylar Rain speaking to this in a video from 2019. Her intro to this video says, Skylar Rain, promoting nymphette fashion without kink. There is not only one way to go with the fashion. You don't have to be into like DDLG. You don't have to like older men. You don't have to have some daddy fetish or whatever. So I guess my goal with the channel is to show that yes, it is okay to like these clothes. That doesn't mean you have any sort of kink. You just like a particular style that's inspired from a movie and it's okay. She repeats a similar sentiment in a video from late 2020. Another big point that I want to make before we get into the fashion is that nymphid fashion is a fashion. It is not a kink. Please do not try and make it a kink. Nymphid fashion has zero relation with daddy kinks or like old man kinks. And I don't understand why people try to make it that way. Because like Dolores was never into older guys. She was never into like any sort of daddy fetish. And this is essentially where the 2014 era of Nymphet Tumblr stands. Fast forwarding to 2017, a student named Rachel E. Davis at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga wrote an honors thesis called Tell Me You Own Me, Gimme Them Coins, post-feminist fascination with Lolita, Lana Del Rey, and sugar culture. This paper examined tumblers from 2016 into 2017. Davis's takeaways are also really interesting and connects the curation of these blogs to the ideas and expectations that both post-feminism and neoliberalism, took me six episodes, but I said, I said neoliberalism, sorry. As these words are used in Davis's paper, neoliberalism is defined as stay with me, we're headed somewhere, quote, a form of governance that argues that market forces rather than state intervention should be allowed to drive the economy, unquote. Post-feminism is defined as, quote, a fusion between neoliberal subjectivity and a feminist politics reimagined through the logic of consumerism, unquote. Davis says in her abstract to this paper that in the tumblers that she analyzed, there was a prevalence of posts expressing depressive, suicidal, and self-destructive ideas indicates that these individuals may experience the failures of neoliberalism and post-feminism as personal failures. This mention of depressive posts was not mentioned in previous work written on nymphet tumblers of 2014, but it's unfortunately not surprising that these and self-harm posts would find their way into these communities. 
Tumblr had and has a very complicated history with hosting blogs that promoted, romanticized, and instructed methods of self-harm and encouraging eating disorders. Take my word for it. And this paper is the first mention of these kinds of posts entering the community. Davis draws a clear line on how these concepts relate to the trends commonly found in these blogs, which extend back to the communities that Kate Elizabeth Russell described. Davis describes the work of Adrian Evans and Sarah Riley in their 2014 book, Technologies of Sexiness. As Evans and Riley pointed out, quote, the constant transformation required by this kind of consumerism means that femininity is constituted as a site of self-surveillance and discipline, end quote. The danger of this ideology lies in the fact that the cycle of consumerism never ends, which, quote, sets people up to fail while encouraging them to locate these failures as their own individual failures rather than as failures of the social structure or in the logic of neoliberalism itself, end quote. So translated, she's presenting the idea that these blogs that primarily feature Lolita content as well as sugar baby blogs were places of self-expression as well as an area for self-surveillance. I will add here quickly, in case you don't know, that a sugar baby is defined as a, quote, transactional dating practice typically characterized by an older wealthier person and a younger person in need of financial assistance in a mutually beneficial relationship. Unquote. Davis's paper goes on to discuss the intersection of the Lolita slash Nymphette and Sugar Baby Tumblr communities, citing blogs with names like Nymphette's Life or Dolly Del Rey. Lolita blogs of this time skewed more fatalistic and depressive, consisting mostly of movie images and deep sadness, whereas the Sugar Baby blogs were more aspirational, featuring luxury goods, tight crops of women's bodies, stacks of money, girlish lingerie. What these blogs had most in common were a preoccupation with Lana Del Rey, the problematic, unkillable queen of the internet. And then I, Jamie Loftus, host of the show, hello, went back into Tumblr in 2020 to find out if Nymphet Tumblrs still existed and what they look like now. And so before I share my extremely scholarly findings, there are a number of important changes that took place on Tumblr between 2017 and now. First of all, it's just not as popular as it used to be, but one of the big reasons people fled from the platform was a site-wide ban on all quote-unquote adult content in late 2018. This exploded a number of communities and boiled down to the Nymphet Tumblr community of this time, entering a phase of transition and a huge schism within the community. I'm going to kick it back to Nelijah here to explain what was going on in the community at this time, which basically boils down to Tumblr disempowering the hashtag Nymphette tag, as well as a number of DDLG kink bloggers infiltrating the space that Nymphette Tumblr used to inhabit. This drives a wedge into the community that ends up splitting it in two. But, well, some of us outgrew it perfectly fine. Everybody else grows aesthetics. Some girls still liked it, but the problem was constant harassment by older men. We couldn't do shit. And eventually, the DDLG and Kingsters moved into the Nymphette tag, and we were like, fuck it, we gotta go. We gotta go. Because when the community ended, a lot of us were already following each other on Instagram, or we moved to follow each other on Instagram because we didn't want to lose contact with each other, because a lot of us became friends. I have formed lifelong friendships through Nymphette community. I have three people who I cannot see my life without because of that community. 
So the community that once thrived on the hashtag NymphVet page splits into two communities, one that is far more diverse in race, gender, and sexuality. Elijah explains where the split in interest as it pertains to Lolita ended up falling between these two communities. Nymphette and Coquette felt very much like celebrating Dolores as herself, as the fun, bubbly girl she was on summer camp with her friends, swimming in the lake when she was with her mom, picnics with her neighbors before Humbert even enters the picture. It was about celebrating her as a person and as who she was before anything happened to her. It's immortalizing the happy child that she was. Dolette feels like celebrating crying, traumatized Dolores on the road with Homer. It feels very much like immortalizing the traumatized Lolita instead of the happy Dolores. And I just cannot fuck with that. This is a fascinating split to me. Two groups of majority teenagers who are fixating on very different points of the same book. Now, the spirit of 2014 Nymphet Tumblr, so like stills of Alicia Silverstone in The Crush, fashion spreads, and on and on, definitely still exist, but they're evolving. Since Davis's paper was published in early 2017, a lot has changed. And I think it's also worth mentioning that the Me Too movement that began in late 2017 has had a clear effect on the community. I took a look at a couple of tumblers that are still semi-regularly posting. From July 2020, here's what a post from her-name-is-dolores.tumblr.com says. As someone who was sexually assaulted as a child, Dolores Hayes means so much to me, and I will defend her. Hell yeah, this is very different from what we hear earlier in Lolita's online history. Now, in the 2020s, nymphet tumblers are fewer in number, but the tone is generally less likely to romanticize the relationship between Dolores and Humbert and squarely condemn abusers of children, specifically abusers of Dolores Hayes. This is done while celebrating and analyzing Dolores carefully. Current leading blogs with names like the Dolores Hayes Network.tumblr.com, CoquetteDolly.tumblr.com, Lolita on the dotted line.tumblr.com, StarletLow.tumblr.com, and on and on. The posts I'm citing here are from 2019 and 2020. The old aesthetics of previous Lolita blogs are still present here, but there's now a larger focus on discussing how Lolita relates to trauma and survival about Dolores Hayes herself in a lot of anti-child sex abuser memes. Now, one of the main interesting new features to Nymphet Tumblr are disclaimers that almost seem to anticipate some of the criticism the blogs are expecting to receive for existing at all. But unlike the early 2000s, the latest wave of Lolita aesthetic blogs firmly distance themselves from DDLG or anything that encourages the sexualization of underage girls. The front page of the Coquette Dolly Tumblr says the following. This blog does not condone the relationship between Humpert and Lowe. My Lolita posts are purely for the sake of fashion and the vintage aesthetic that the 1997 film embodies. As I've stated many times on this blog and others I run, Dolores Hayes is a victim, a fact that tends to be forgotten amongst the dark beauty that is Lolita. The Dolores Hayes Network's header reads this. 
This network slash page is dedicated to Dolores Hayes of the novel Lolita. This page does not condone or romanticize the contents of said novel and was created as a space for those of us who see Lo as exactly what she is, a 12-year-old child. Some of the images presented here may seem to be of questionable content, though that is unavoidable because of the content of the novel itself. No edits, gift sets, or text posts are meant to show the relationship between Dolores and Humbert as loving or romantic. And again, these blogs do still have the Nymphet Tumblr aesthetic going. We've got images from Lolita 1997, Pretty Baby, Lana Del Rey, Romeo plus Juliet with Claire Danes, pictures of an underage Mila Kunis as Jackie in that 70s show, wearing a t-shirt that says, I am so a virgin, as well as gifts of old school 1960s beach blondes. So the old aesthetics that have marked these blogs from the start are still present, but now they are marked with the reminder that the person posting the image understands that Lolita is a story of abuse. This is new. There's a post from a user called Cubitum Emus. I butchered that. I feel so old. There's a post from this user that many Nymphet blogs reposted that describes the difference between the Lolita aesthetic and the Lolita lifestyle. Lolita aesthetic. Pink plaid skirts, cherry cola, dewy grass, picnics under the bright blue sky. Lolita lifestyle, taking advantage of by an old man, being manipulated, pedophiles, daddy issues, lifelong trust issues. Other posts comb the text of Nabokov's book more carefully than scholars. There's an excited post finding a mention of Dolores having freckles that says, quote, further descriptions of Dolores, she has freckles, unquote. Other posts cite particularly manipulative sections of text from Humbert with this commentary. This shows that, despite having convinced himself of this whole devious nymphette thing, he is aware deep down that Dolores is just a regular kid. Hell, these tumblers are posting excerpts from Ways of Seeing by John Berger, one of the most seminal texts on aesthetics. These users are pretty aware of what they are engaging with. So while the fashion and aesthetics of past adaptations are included, the main focus is Dolores Hayes herself. Users remember that it's mentioned that she's conversational in French, that she was a tomboy, that she was bisexual. This was written in all caps in a post I saw, and I think it references Dolores mentioning that her earliest sexual experience was with kissing a girl. Dolores is always the main event. In these tumblers, there is no mention that Lolita could conceivably be a love story. There is no suggestion that Dolores was ever interested or welcoming Humbert's abuse. In its place, there is just as much, if not more, content like this. And just a warning, because this is audio only, I do now have to do that boomer thing where I like describe a meme to you, so I'm sorry. All of these memes are extremely anti-child sex abuser. One features a repeated image of a girl with brown pigtails saying this, my name is not Lolita. Lolita is not a love story. I hate Humbert Humbert. I'm literally 12, you sick fucks. Kill pedos. Protect kids. My trauma isn't cute or sexy. I'm a child. I'm not at fault. I'm the victim. This has 447 notes or Tumblr likes, basically. Another post shows an illustration of a girl in overalls holding a knife. The text says the following. There is no excuse for pedophilia. It's not a sexuality. 
it's not free love. The only rights you need is the rights to fucking die. 116,549 notes. And that is Lolita Aesthetics and Nymphet Tumblr in 2020. These users are determined to protect Dolores Hayes. It may not be the most nuanced discussion on the internet, but I gotta hand it to him. These types of spaces didn't exist when I was a kid. And looking at them now, I know they would have resonated with me at that age. The blogs that we were discussing earlier with the heavy sexualized imagery back in 2014 and 2017 still very much exist now, but there are these new features to them. The fact that Lolita has been culturally warped to fit a very particular, over-sexualized, rigid aesthetic as we've been discussing for this entire series, younger fans of the book are actively trying to unlearn and resist what the monoculture is serving them. And that's really cool. So I think we can see in all of the online spaces we've looked at so far, the very fact that they are curated and controlled by those that have far more in common with Dolores Hayes than Humbert Humbert gives these spaces a uniqueness and a power that all of the older male-driven adaptations lack. But at the same time, these blogs are very informed and driven by the visuals of these adaptations. It makes my head hurt, but it gives me the smallest bit of hope. Because the way that teenagers are curating their own online spaces now is happening around and within cultural conversations that just were not being had 20 years ago. And we can see with this example alone that that is making a difference. It's tricky because based on many listeners who have contacted me and pulling from my own experiences with Lolita Online, I do think that a lot of the Tumblr culture I experienced as a teen fucked with my head a lot and maybe did not produce a net good effect for my self-image or for my perspective on sexual abuse. But I'm hopeful that that seems to be changing, however imperfectly. And what discussion on internet culture being released in 2021 wouldn't include the tick and the talk. TikTok is probably the most relevant social media app for young people at the time of this recording. It is more focused on comments and algorithm-driven engagement, and it features short videos for all my boomers out there. It's also where Madison Beer, the TikTok star briefly canceled over romanticizing Lolita in 2020, became famous. So naturally, there is a pretty healthy discussion about the book Lolita happening over on TikTok as well. Like many spaces we've discussed, TikTok is about a 50-50 split of users demanding that people stop romanticizing Lolita, and the other half is people romanticizing Lolita. The latter type of video is mostly inspired by the 1997 movie, as was the case on Tumblr as well. Examples are fan edits of Dominique Swain as Lolita eating a banana while Lana Del Rey plays, lip syncs of girls mouthing the line, I was a daisy fresh girl and look what you've done to me, while looking seductively into the camera on their phone. On the other end of this discussion are mainly young users who have read the book and resent romanticizing its legacy. So let's take a listen to a couple of those. The first is from a user Mr.Wayeet. I'm definitely saying that wrong. Nabokov shows you in every way how a predator's brain works. He beats you over the head with how bad Humbert really is as a human. How do people miss this? And that people use Dolores in their songs. I'm looking at you, Lana Del Rey, 
as this sexually promiscuous teenager, blah, blah. She was 12. Number was institutionalized multiple times. He abused his wife. I don't understand how people... Second is from user of hen. Good morning. This message is for you. Stop romanticizing Lolita 1997. It's not a good fucking movie. It was made by perverted white men in Hollywood. It's not a good fucking movie. And finally, it's Nerdy Mixed Pan. I'm going to talk about a book that I never thought I'd like. This one. Right here. Before you ask, no, it has nothing to do with the Japanese fashion. Might be saying, Tot, doesn't that book glorify pedophiles? And it honestly depends on how you read. Now, if you take Humbert, who is the titular character, you have to remember this book is written as a memoir, for his word, then yeah, it does glorify predators. However, if you have the nuance of knowing that this is written from the monster's perspective, you'll be able to see the cracks of reality come through in the writing. There are times where Humbert admits that Dolores is scared of him, that she cries herself to sleep at night, and that he is a terrible human being for what he is doing to her. Am I suggesting that some of the most pertinent and transformative criticism surrounding Lolita is taking place on TikTok and Tumblr and not in academic journals? Yes, I am. I absolutely am. And a lot of this analysis, as you just heard, relates directly to Lana Del Rey's romanticizing Lolita. And we haven't even made it to YouTube yet. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Lolita content on YouTube 
is all over the place. Most famously, the entire 1997 movie has been up in its entirety for free for nearly a decade. And there's also a lot of fan cuts of the 97 movie and the press material surrounding it. There's also a fair amount of content analyzing Lolita. The best of it, in my opinion, comes from Miss Lola, or Dolores, who we spoke with a couple weeks ago. Her content about Lolita not only performs well, it's very nuanced. In the hour-long We Need to Talk About Lolita, she talks about movie and stage adaptations, reading Lolita in Tehran, R. Kelly to the grooming and mistreatment of underage people by a famous YouTuber. She's also done a video reviewing Lowe's Diary, an attempt at rewriting the Nabokov book from Dolores' perspective, and another video about Lana Del Rey as a problematic fave. I want to share a little more of our interview here because nuanced discussion and YouTube do not always mesh, and I found her approach and experiences to be very relevant to the current state of Lolita discourse. So here's a little more of our conversation. YouTube is a unique platform in that it has like exceptionally intense parasocial relationships. Yes. So I knew if I was going to do a video about such a serious topic, I wanted to try to use that to my advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the reason why many people felt comfortable reaching out to me and opening up. Mm -hmm. I got like a flood of responses. Was it before? before the Lolita video, after, during, what was the, what was the kind of the process there of reaching out? Well, at the end of the video, I had a call to action Mm -hmm. um, where I said, you know, if you're going through a situation and you need someone to talk to, you can reach out to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I got like dozens at this point, I've received hundreds of letters, Uh, (laughs) a whole flurry of conspiracy theories about um, who I knew or if, if I was the, the, you know, it got so it got so wild because the first video blew up so much that people thought I was like a plant or something as if that's how YouTube works, which it's not. I, I got so much hate and love and, you know, but this is the thing is I wouldn't say that it's equally taxing, but even though it makes me happy that all of these young girls are reaching out and although I'm so glad and I still keep in touch with some of them, you know, or they'll send me updates six months later saying, Hey, like my mom left my stepdad and we're moving to a new state and like, or, um, he's getting charged or all of this or like, thank you so much. Um, that's Mm -hmm. wonderful, but it is a lot of emotional labor for like, again, I, I wasn't trained. I did child psychology in school, Mm -hmm. but, um, that's not enough. Um, I used to go to bed at a reasonable hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes at night I just lay back and I think about, the, the horrible things people have felt safe confessing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, it's wonderful for the teenage girls and it's, but you know, the, the problem with these parasocial relationships is when they're not really listening to you, when they just like hear someone talking about a thing that they like, yeah. um, they, these, these men who think you understand me and it's like, no, I don't understand you. I understand my abuser because I've gone to therapy. Uh, it's it's the kind of project that I honestly thought I would I would want to like I would want to undertake. But after that initial video, um, it took me almost a year to release another video on Lolita because I was just so mm-hmm. overwhelmed. And and it's you know it's every time I release a video on, on Lolita, I get another slew of emails. Thank you so much again to Dolores, and remember to check out her channel linked below. 
Finally, I wanted to touch on the fashion subculture called non-sexual nymphette fashion that I referenced at the beginning. Discussion of this community primarily exists on YouTube. I learned about it pretty early into my research process, and like Lolita Tumblr in the 2020s, it may not be what you expect. So we touched on this at the beginning of the episode as well, but to reiterate, what is the difference between Japanese Lolita fashion and nymphette fashion. Lolita fashion is a fashion subculture that began in Japan in the 70s-ish. The history of this community is kind of hard to trace and revolves around cute aesthetics. It's defined by voluminous crinoline skirts, puffy sleeves, you know, not imagery really associated with Lolita the book or the movies at all. It's an extremely popular fashion movement and was created as a reaction to the rigid gender expectations and aesthetics in Japan, and it's now become a prominent movement worldwide. Designer Naoto Haruka explains Lolita fashion like this back in 2008 in the Japan Times. One of the salient points about Lolita is that it is really a fashion that is not intended to attract men. The women are creating their own world into which they can get away from the pressures of the larger society. Lolita fashion also pulls inspiration from French Rococo aesthetics and Alice in Wonderland. Remember Lewis Carroll from episode one? You can go back if you like. So it's not related to Lolita or Nymphette fashion, so I'm just going to stop talking about it now. So Dolores Hayes has spawned a hyper-feminine fashion movement that exists alongside and in direct conversation with Nymphet Tumblr and current Nymphet online communities, which is why it's generally just called Nymphet Fashion. You're about to hear Skylar Rain again, a 20-something prominent American member of the Nymphet Fashion community on YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, other places I probably haven't heard of, who ironically first got interested by dabbling in Japanese Lolita fashion years ago. Here's a bit from Skylar's video, watch this before you get into nymphette fashion from 2020. Because you, you understand that Dolores Hayes was 12 years old and Humbert Humbert was like 37. Don't try and make that goals, that's not an aesthetic. The nymphette aesthetic is like, it's cherries, it's gingham, it's picnics, it's like lots of greenery, butterflies, flowers, daisies, all of that kind of stuff, that's like the perfect nymphette aesthetic. Pedophilia isn't an aesthetic, don't try to make it. For my- Skylar started making these videos in her early 20s after getting interested in the fashion of the 1997 movie and started getting actively engaged in nymphette fashion her freshman year of college. Her channel has now been active for over four years and has a small but mighty subscriber base of around 13,000 subscribers with even more on Instagram and Tumblr. Skylar's main objective is to legitimize nymphette fashion as something that can exist independent of kink or sex and instead exist on its own merits as 90s Lolita the book inspired fashion. And for her younger audience, Skylar is pretty clear where she stands on the fetishizing of the Lolita Humbert relationship. Speaking to that here in a video called Criticism for Nymphette Fashion and the Community in May 2019. One thing I want to bring up is uh, to all of my younger audience, because I know that there are some younger people who watch me. Don't try to go after old guys. That's not what nymphed fashion is. That's what the fetishizers do, which is something I don't support. It's extremely dangerous. I can guarantee you guys, if you read the book Lolita, aka the actual story of Lolita, not the movie adaptations that had to be censored in order to not be banned everywhere because it would be too controversial. If you would actually read the book and see all of this suffering that Lolita went through, how horrible and mean Humbert was. 
because what you guys are seeing in the 1997 movie was just a movie adaptation of Lolita. You're not getting the actual Lolita because lots of things are different in the book. The idea of an old guy treating you like a princess or something, get that out of your head. Get that out of your head because that's not what Humbert did. What Humbert did was groom her and that's what these old predator guys would do to you. So don't contact them. If they come to you, block them. Don't interact with them. Moral of the story, stay away from old guys because I promise you it's not going to be a romantic ending. So the majority of her videos are fashion focused, but Skylar is also using her platform to meaningfully engage with the text that the fashion movement is pulling from. And this goes for the entire community. In her video, Are You a Nymphette? The Original Meaning of Nymphette, Skylar goes in deep on the origin of the term nymphette from Humbert Humbert by Nabokov and how that relates to her community. I'm going to explain why the Google definition slash what's it called Merriam-Webster definition of nymphette is wrong if we're talking about it in the original sense. So Google said that a nymphette is an attractive and sexually mature young girl. Then Merriam-Webster said, a sexually preco precocious girl, barely in her teens. Also, a sexually attractive young woman. First known use of Nymphette in 1955. So they're saying that in the novel, this is the way Nymphette was used. So like, that's, that's weird. And Nabokov had his own words to say about exactly these definitions. The interviewer asked Nabokov, like, what connection does his interest in butterflies have? And this is what Nabokov said. I have reworked the classification of various groups of butterflies, have described and figured several species and subspecies. My names for the microscopic organs that I have been the first to sec and portray have safely found their ways into biological dictionaries. Compare this to the wretched entry under Nymphet in Webster's latest edition. From this, we can see that uh, Nabokov wasn't exactly happy from the Webster edition. And Nabokov trash-talking Webster doesn't even stop there, and another uh, interview, he goes on. I think that the harmful dredges who define today in popular dictionaries, the word nymphette as a very young but sexually attractive girl without any additional comment or reference should have their knuckles wrapped. So um, can we agree that the Google definition is uh, not correct? I think everyone should be going to Nabokov when we're trying to say like what the original definition of nymphette is. We should. And now for my last interview I have with Nabokov here. Out of Mr. Humbert's manic gaze, there is no nymphette. Lolita the nymphette only exists through the obsession that destroys Humbert. This is an essential aspect of a singular book that has been falsified by an artificial popularity. This is probably the most important of the interviews that I mentioned throughout this whole thing. So to pull from the altered 2020 Tumblr Lolita community, Skylar Rain dedicates a lot of time to the aesthetics, but she's also releasing 20-minute videos doing deep dives on the book, the authorship of the book, and story specifics. I literally sent this video to Nabokov's biographer, Brian Boyd, who I spoke with back in episode two, and he was really impressed by it. Skylar suggests the following for people hoping to get into nymphet fashion who want to engage with the community and be a quote-unquote good representative of this community in her most recent video. She encourages the nymphet community to educate newcomers on the anti-child sex abuse stance of the community, as well as providing context for the abuse that takes place in the book. She encourages people to use the hashtag nokinknymphet 
Here she is speaking to that in Watch This Before You Get Into Nymphet Fashion. I started a tag that you can use on Instagram or Tumblr or whatever. The tag is just No Kink Nymphet. With this tag, I wanted to be able to like bring together all the people within the Nymphet Fashion community who are very much so against the sexualization of Nymphet Fashion or Lolita. They just simply like the fashion. The theme that runs through all these communities is present in Skylar's Nymphet Fashion videos as well advice and support for other people looking to join the community. She warns newcomers of likely bad faith retaliation from others in comment sections. In the same video, Skylar pushes against the body normativity of nymphette fashion. While she is a thin, white passing woman herself, I don't know what her exact background is, she tells her viewers that it's fashion, it's clothes, it's an aesthetic, and therefore it's for everybody. I don't need to tell you this, but teenagers are a source of infinite ridicule. When I was one, I actively tried to distance myself from things that were popular and then enjoyed most of those same things in secret in an effort to display that I wasn't like other girls, when in fact, I was exactly like other girls. When I was in high school and then a little bit older on Tumblr, reading Lolita at all was a botched attempt at assuring the people around me, and more importantly, reassuring myself that I was not like other girls. Other girls were reading Twilight and Sarah Dessen, which I also read, but only in the privacy of my own home with the intimacy of a library book that had already been paged through by 50 other teenagers before me in varying shrouds of secrecy. Which is why I approach the online culture surrounding Lolita, misguided as some of it is, with some overprotectiveness. While these communities have overcome a lot of the male gaze, abuser-centric narratives that adaptations and references to Lolita have had over the years, looking at these blogs also compounded my frustration with the Adrian Line adaptation of Nabokov's book, as well as Lana Del Rey's musical messaging. Because these two are unquestionably the visual backbones of these communities, and both are narratives designed about child sex abuse by grown adults who are pushing that marketable, consenting narrative and doing it in a very visually appealing way. Scrolling through these images now, it just strikes me how it's very possible to make an image of Dolores Hayes that is beautiful and meaningful without selling her story out. But no one's really done that on a large scale. And this community loves Dolores Hayes, and so they work with what they have, even though most of what they're given by pop culture is deeply flawed. As in those Tumblr disclaimers that we read earlier, these communities have to constantly be working through this cognitive dissonance. I know she's being abused. I know Humbert can't be trusted. It's just that the only images available serve Humbert's narrative. What else are you supposed to do? There need to be better options for this community. There needs to be a better adaptation of this story. So I hope this episode was helpful in contextualizing how we see Dolores, whether that means how we see her from across a bookstore while we're being marketed to, how we see her scrolling through a timeline online, and for young people who strongly connect to her, how people see themselves within her. It's aesthetically driven, absolutely, but based on what I know of the internet communities, it has a whole lot to do with the content of the story as well. And as usual, the culture at large underestimates teenagers constantly. They are reading the book, and while the way that it's interpreted certainly ranges quite a bit, it's disingenuous to say that the people in these communities are incapable of doing a nuanced read of the book. Particularly right now, they seem to be reading it in a pretty radical way. 
So I'm not saying that NIMFET online culture is above criticism. It isn't. It has at different times included wild misreads and includes a lot of romanticizing perpetuated by popular movie adaptations and how pop culture has swallowed Dolores Hayes whole and includes a lot of romanticizing perpetuated by popular movie adaptations. Elijah Maisa explains in her recent video why black girlhood is not valued in the Dolet community, there is a need to stop centering whiteness and rigid femininity with appreciating Dolores Hayes. She speaks about it here. So I want to include a little bit of that video as well. And I did some editing for clarity. I just wanted to talk about black girlhood and why I feel like within the community specifically, black girlhood is not viewed with the same grace that white girlhood is. I think it's unfair that black girls are hypersexualized already and if a black girl wants to do something that is normal to her she wears a denim mini skirt with a baby fat tube top and bamboo earrings why is she not viewed under the same nymphette aesthetic lens as say a white girl in you know the stereotypical nymphette clothing with the bardo top and the sailor shorts because fundamentally they're the same outfit a tube slash crop top and a mini skirt or short shorts but one is viewed under the nymphette lens but the other is viewed as more adult or she is overtly sexual even though she's just wearing clothes that fundamentally fit the same pattern as a white girl does where we could be in the most frilly pink babyish outfits and still be coded as hyper aggressive and hypersexual and white that's never really seemed to understand the fact that they did not see us as valid members of communities subliminally and the thing is nymphed aesthetic at its heart is about reclaiming girlhood and not necessarily innocence because i don't think you have to be an innocent person to reclaim your girlhood and i think purity like complexes and purity politics are just not helpful but it's just about reclaiming your own girlhood and yourself in a way that feels comfortable with you and I don't want to say femininity either because I think femininity is very different for everyone and I think that is a unfair box to put people in especially when you consider like the amount of non-binary nymphs there were or like trans nymphs and fallets so I think like femininity isn't a good word either it's not really about reclaiming femininity it's more about claiming the way you grew up so that's why I said girlhood for shorthand but I guess you could say childhood too Reclaiming girlhood, as Melijah describes it, is a better description of the goals of Dolores Hayes Online than I've read in any scholar's paper and requires that the community be inclusive of what that means for everybody. Dolores Hayes is a character whose experiences have spoken to a wide array of people, to nymphets who present more feminine and fawnlets who present more masculine, to young people of all genders and races, and that is absolutely a fact that needs to be taken into consideration in future adaptations. Dolores is seen, like we've been talking about, in relation to you, and the power that sort of icon has shouldn't be underestimated or squandered. Dolores feels more present in these communities than she does on most of the covers of Lolita, or for that matter, in most of the movies, because it's mostly kids her age processing her experiences. 
And I'm just going to throw in one final God damn it, Lana Del Rey. Next week, in our penultimate episode of Lolita Podcast, we speak to some of the women behind these images, the young actors who have played Lolita over the years. Through interviews and archival looks at their lives, we'll take a look at the challenges, emotional stressors, and lack of protection afforded to these actors, all while their respective Humberts continued on to happy careers. Why is that? Talented actors treated as images for consumption. Next week, on Lolita Podcast. Lolita Podcast is an iHeartRadio production. It is written and hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, produced by Sophie Lichterman, Beth Ann Macaluso, Miles Gray, and Jack O'Brien. It is edited by the wonderful Isaac Taylor. Music is from Zoe Blade. Theme music is from Brad Dickert. And my guest voices this week are Robert Evans, Caitlin Durante, Melissa Lozada Oliva, Maggie Mae Fish, and Daniel Goodman. See you next week. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at Let'sMakeAPlan.org.